So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain round his neck. He made him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonith Paneah and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Asenath, daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Thank you. Welcome to you too. It's great to be with you. Great to be with you wherever you are today in, in Leicester, online or uh, in Cafe Church. Great, great to be with you. And so excited to be sharing part six of this fantastic series, looking at this great Old Testament character of Joseph. And we, we come today, as we, we heard in the reading a moment ago, of how Joseph, having had this amazing dream as a, a young man, gone through a, a long period of preparation. And last week we saw incredibly rapid promotion. Now we see what it looks like to actually live the dream. Now, I, I wonder if, if any of you, like me, have had dreams that you had, visions and dreams from maybe a, a long time ago. And some of them you've seen them fulfilled. Some of them they're kind of partially fulfilled and some you're waiting for. You know, I, I, I have to kind of put up with disappointment every time the, the England football team is announced. And I'm beginning to think the chances of getting on the plane to the World Cup are being diminished. Although I have to say, my wife's very enthusiastic for my participation in the England team. I think they do need a mature, experienced midfielder. So put my name in there. Um, but also coping with the disappointment of the higher honour, much higher honour, of playing cricket for Yorkshire. Hasn't actually yet come to pass, but there's still hope for them. Um, but actually, within the last week, I've had one of my long-term dreams come to pass, because in the last week, I've become a granddad. 
I thought you might like to see a couple of pictures. This is me with Elsie Joy Deeks. Now, now we call and then you'll see a picture of Elsie. Come on, that's worth an ah, surely. She's gorgeous. So this, I think, is probably my first message as a granddad. <laughs> now, actually, though, when I look back, I have had other dreams in my life. And I, I think of one that I, I believe God placed in my heart just after I became a Christian, kind of 36 years ago or so. Of, and I think many of you share this dream. And it's a dream of this great country coming back to God. Of a nation where Jesus is right at the center and where kingdom values are being lived out in every section and every element of society. Anybody else share that dream? And also, actually, for me, it's been a dream of, God, can we get a part uh, where we actually get to play a part in that dream, being not just a dream, but actually becoming a reality? And I, I want to say, I actually believe that we're, we're living in times where we're starting to see that where we're seeing individual lives being changed. We're actually seeing families being transformed by the love of God. But can we believe for whole cities to be transformed by Jesus, maybe even whole nations? Now, that's actually a dream that I find incredible encouragement from in the passage that we've, we've just heard read here. Because it's kind of, this passage for me is working on two levels. On one level, you've got this amazing story of how God loves to raise up an individual into a position of incredible influence. Just listen to what Pharaoh says to Joseph. He says, I hereby put you in charge of the whole of the land of Egypt. Isn't that amazing? Here we have a, 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 a follower of Yahweh raised up into uh, the position of prime minister over what was probably the most powerful nation on earth at that time, given the, the mandate for looking after stewarding vast resources for millions of people with a mandate to save a whole nation from impending disaster with starvation and famine. On one level, this is a story about how God loves to raise up individuals. But actually, there's a kind of a backdrop story that's going on where what we see is a story of a God who wants to bring transformation not only to individuals but to a whole nation. And actually, how does he do that? He does it by raising up his people into positions of influence through whom his kingdom can come. Now, I believe that's good news for us today because you don't have to be uh, someone who's going to be raised up to be prime minister. doesn't matter what your call is in life. God wants to use you to play your part in helping bring transformation, the rule and the reign of the king, wherever he's placed you. You've got a role to play in that. It's not just about the Josephs of this life. And what I want to do today, I want to share with you four lessons that we see from the life of Joseph. And in particular, I want you to, to think about these four lessons in the place where you spend most of your time, uh, kind of when you're not in church gatherings. We need to be in church gatherings and we need to be praying for our nation to turn to God. But here are four things that you and I can do during this coming week that actually help position us to play our part in helping see transformation come to this city and to this nation. How many of you want to see that? Want to play your part? Here we go. So these are four things we see in the life of Joseph. Number one, be diligent. Now, I wonder if, you, if I was to ask you to imagine what do you think living the dream actually looks like? Or imagine that you're asked to kind of 
paint a whole load of words onto a wall to describe what living the dream looks like. I wonder for how many of us the word diligent would actually feature. You know, what, what do you, you know how you define the word diligent? I think of someone being conscientious, someone being persistent, someone working hard over a long period of time. Uh, the famous inventor, Thomas Edison, he, he put it like this. He said, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and it looks like work. I wonder how many of you think of that when you think of living the dream, it comes dressed in overalls and it looks like work. You know, when I look at Joseph here, here he is, he's been given a vast range of resources to steward at his disposal. And I compare it to what is it that God has given me to steward? What are the resources? What are the people? What are the things he's given me charge of? And I look at how how diligent Joseph is in stewarding that, and I compare that to how I steward what God has given me. Because when you look at Joseph living the dream, what you don't see is a man with his feet up in a palace. What you see is a man, as Edison would say, dressed in overalls and working hard. I mean, look at how the writer to Genesis describes it. Uh, Genesis 41, verses 46 and onwards. It talks about as soon as he's been in Pharaoh's presence, what does he do? He goes and he travels throughout the whole of Egypt. He does that for seven years. Okay? He doesn't do three years and then get bored and go and do something else. He says, now this is, I've made a plan. Now I'm going to work the plan for as long as it takes to do it. He, he sticks at it. He collects all the food. He makes sure it gets stored in all the cities. There's a diligence about making sure he's detailed in carrying out the plan. Um, he he's stores up, the, the Bible says, huge quantities of grain. And then goes on to say he keeps records. I kind of, I kind of love that image of Joseph here living the dream. There he is with his Egyptian agrarian spreadsheet and he's measuring out the amount of grain that's being stored. This is what it looks like to live the dream. Now, I don't know about you, but over the last 30 years of my life or so, I have to keep learning the benefit and the value of diligence. It's not something that comes particularly naturally to me. And I, I began to learn it when I first started teaching. I spent 20 years teaching. And I can remember uh, first heading into the profession. And some of you may not believe this, but I was pretty naive about the amount of work and diligence, attention to detail, that will be required in order to be a success at teaching. In fact, I, I can still remember all those years back, my very first lesson observation, when the inspector came to look at this very green teacher. And what an absolute disaster it was because of my lack of diligence. And I can remember crying all the way from Sunderland to Durham in the back of his car. Definitely worth an hour. But actually, over time, what I discovered as well, not, not only the power of diligence, but what a blessing it is. You know, over time, I began to learn how you need to plan well, how you need to get to know the children that you're teaching, how you need to get your resources together. And I can tell you, whoa, what joy at the end of a, a day to put all my resources out at the front of my classroom with a nice little pile for every group that was coming in, sleep well at night and coming in the next morning, look at it all out there and think, we're ready for the day. Diligence brings incredible blessing. But you know, actually, diligence can often be, certainly it was in my life, 
Many times, it can be the difference between success and failure. You, you think of Joseph. I'm pretty sure the people of Egypt and the surrounding region were glad at a level of life and death, starvation or food, that Joseph didn't stop after three years. But he kept going all the way to seven years, storing it all up. Uh, in, in the early 20th century, 1911, uh, two men were involved in a race to see who, who could be the first human being to reach the South Pole. And they, they put together two teams. One was led by a man called Amundsen. The other was led by a guy called Scott. And many of you will know the story. In many ways, the two teams were, were very equally matched. They were both of a similar level of experience. They both had incredible financial resources behind them. Uh, they both had a good team who they were working with. But there was one significant difference in terms of the way in which they approached the actual task. Amundsen developed what has been called the 20-mile march. And what he decided with his team, they, they, were gonna, they made a decision they would do up to and as close to 20 miles a day every single day. So even when the weather was good, they wouldn't do more than they could. They'd actually steward their energy well. But when it was blowing a blizzard and freezing cold, they would still seek to do 18 to 20 miles a day. Scott, on the other hand, he, he took on a totally different method. He said to his team, what we'll do is we'll take advantage of when the weather's good. We'll go as far as we can. But when the weather's bad, we will just sit in our tents and we'll, we'll wait for the, the bad weather to pass. Now, as I'm sure you know, the one who got there first was Amundsen. For him, it was an incredible success. He and his team were the first team, first human beings to stand at the South Pole. They won by a massive 34 days. But actually, tragically, not only did Scott's team fail to get there as fast, tragically, all five of his team died on the way back. Now, you could say, why? Because of a lack of diligence, of stepping in day after day, just making that step in when things are good and when they're not so good. I mean, let, let me ask you today, thinking of the, the place where you spend most of your, your week, what is your equivalent of the 20-mile march? What is the thing that actually you're doing which is honoring God? It may not be fun. It may not be exciting. But actually, it's part of God's plan for your and my life to be diligent in what we do during the week. Let, 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 let's be those who are diligent, careful, consistent. So number one, first thing we see from Joseph is let's be diligent. Now here's the thing, and we see this again and again in Scripture. When you find a diligent person who is under the favor of God, they will gain increased levels of promotion and influence. So the question is, how do you handle it when you get into a place of influence? Well, secondly, like Joseph, be not only diligent, but be humble. Be humble. Now, if I was to ask you a question today, if you, you, you think of the, the, there's a fairly famous proverb, what is it that comes before a fall? And what you'd say, well, the answer from the stuff I've read is pride comes before a fall. Now, I think, think we all know what pride is. It's that, that word with that massive letter I in the middle of it, that horrible, stinking I that basically says, what does pride say? Pride says, it's all about me. It's all about mine. It's all about who I am and what I can do. Just listen to these, I think, pride-filled words from one of the, the Watergate conspirators. Uh, George Gordon Liddy, he said this. 
He said, I have found within myself all I need and all I ever shall need. I'm a man of great faith, but my faith is in George Gordon Liddy. I have never failed me. This is a guy who got convicted as part of the Watergate conspiracy. Okay, look at how many times he uses the word me, my, I. Now then you compare that to Joseph. Okay, remember, here's a guy who in one day, he goes from being in a prison to being in a palace. Imagine the temptation to pride as this happens to him. Verse 42 says this, Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in fine linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. Then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And now, just catch this. Wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Come on, how, how many of you think for a moment, if you had people going before you everywhere you went saying, kneel down, kneel down, there might be a smidgen of temptation to start feeling you were it, was about you. And yet we see none of that. The remarkable thing is we see none of it in Joseph. In fact, you've got this wonderful comparison. Here was this young man at 17 who wanted to be at the centre of attention, but couldn't be trusted with that position because it would have ruined him. And yet here we, here we see him 30 years later. He is the centre of attention. He's right at the centre of the Egyptian empire. And yet God can put him there because he can handle it. The pride won't ruin him. Unlike uh, Gordon Liddy, who a moment who would, who would have said, I'm a self-made man, what, what would Joseph have said? He would say, I'm a God-made man. God put me in this position. You know, he even listen to how he names his son. So it says that he named his second son Ephraim, and then just catch this. He says, it is because who? God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Amazing. What's he saying? He's saying, I owe everything, not to my skill, not to my effort, not to my talent and my ability. I owe it all to God. It has all come from him. I, I want to ask you today, kind of challenge you today. If you've got a position of influence, if you've got any money, any belongings, if you've got breath in your body, where's it come from? It's come from God. And are you taking time to give God the credit, just, just as Joseph did, continually seeking to say, it's not about me, it's about him. The, Joseph's attention is on God. Listen to these powerful words from J James 4, which many of you will be very familiar with. J James says this, he says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. How many of you want grace? God's provision into your life. Well, that's what James is saying. He said, God gives grace to the humble. So what should we do? Humble ourselves before God. Now, please notice, I'm sure one of the reasons there was so much grace upon Joseph's life is because he lived a life of humility. But who is it who does the humbling? It's not God. It's not the person sat on your right and your left, or they may help you. It's actually you and I. Who needs to humble you? You do. Who needs to humble me? I do. It's my role. I, I sometimes wonder if um, when Joseph named his son Ephraim, if part of that was to remind him. Imagine that every time he called out his son's name, Ephraim, God has made me fruitful or fruitfulness. What was it? He was reminding himself, everything I have has come from God. Maybe we need to put in place things that remind us of how everything we have, every position we have has come from him. A man called William Beebe, who's a naturalist, 
And he, he was a friend of Teddy Roosevelt, one of the, the great uh, American presidents, a man obviously entrusted with great power and riches and very aware of the danger of those things, wanting to walk in humility. And William Beebe, the naturalist, talked about how after they'd spent an evening together, often talking about the, the great things of the land that they were going to try and uh, talk about and handle, he said that then they would go out onto the lawn and they would look at the skies and they'd look for a particular bit of light in the sky. And then Roosevelt would make this recitation. He'd say, that up there, that is the spiral galaxy in Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. And then, then um, William Beebe reports how Roosevelt would grin and he'd say, right, I feel small enough, now let's go off. <laughs> I know, what, what do you need to do to remind yourself of who God is and where we are in relation to him? Let's be diligent, let's be humble, and third, be distinctive. Be distinctive. I think it's important to remember that the call on Joseph's life, just as it is on your and my life, is not, as Dave was saying a few weeks ago, it's not to live the dream I've imagined. It's actually to live the vision and the plan that God has for my life and actually to be someone who represents him wherever he's put me. As we've been saying uh, during this year as part of Inside Out, that every one of us, where, wherever we spend our most of our hours during the week, God has called us to be his kingdom ambassadors in those places. Now, it's clear from history that almost every Christian who's worked, walked the planet in this whole area of kingdom ambassador and of, of being called to be distinctive face, faces at least two challenges, two extremes. On one extreme, there is the danger of becoming totally disengaged from the world. People who are very serious about wanting to follow Jesus, really love God, but actually there's no engagement in the world. And actually when, when we're at this extreme here, we've got a message about the goodness of God, but also we've got no one to tell it to. The other extreme is to become absolutely engaged in the world, but so engaged in the world that we actually end up merging completely with it so that there's no difference between us in values, in the way in which we live, in the, the things that are priorities in our life. So actually, although we've got an audience, we've got very little to tell them. Now, when you look at Joseph, the good news about Joseph is he ma manages this tension absolutely brilliantly. He's both fully engaged in the Egyptian life and he's incredibly distinctive. Now, now look at it. How, how was he involved? Well, here, here is a man who gets so involved in the life of Egypt that when his brothers see him, a few years later, they actually can't recognize him. Here's a guy, when you look at his life, he's got an Egyptian haircut. He lives in Egypt. He's married to an Egyptian. He speaks Egyptian. He presumably talks like an Egyptian. And in the immortal words of the Bengals, I guess he would even walk like an Egyptian. The idea, he was absolutely engaged in the life of, of Egypt. Now, here's the thing. If you and I are to live the dream, if this is a nation that's really going to be changed, we need people engaged in every section of society. 
Do you know, we need Christians who are representing the king in every single area of life, in politics, as Joseph was. Joseph spent his life not in church, but in representing God in politics, in the whole area of government. We need Christians in the media, in the arts, in entertainment, in business, in education, in health, in wherever God has placed you, that's where we need kingdom ambassadors. When I was praying earlier today, I felt so grateful for men and women, followers of Jesus, who've said, God, you've placed me in wherever it is, and I'm here to represent you. I I thank God for Christian MPs. I want to say to us, Kingsgate, can we be people who get behind in prayer and encouragement? Those who are in public positions of leadership and influence who are seeking to represent the king and what they need from us is our backing and our encouragement, not our discouragement. I want to say to many of you, what you do Monday through Saturday, that is the primary place where you are fulfilling your call to be a kingdom ambassador. That's what God has called you to do. And it's part of God's incredible plan of transformation for this city, and for this nation. But here's the thing, we're called not just to be engaged, we're called to be distinctive. You know, again, we go back to to Joseph and we see that although he was fully engaged, he was different in a good way. It's very clear that he maintained his identity as a a follower of the the Lord. As a a Hebrew, he, he gives his children distinctly Hebrew names. In fact, his boss, Pharaoh, gives him a name that says, here's a man who can hear from God. Joseph kept that sense of separate identity. It It was almost as though he was saying, I am here for the good of this land. God has placed me in this pagan nation amongst this people, and I'm here for the good of this people. But I serve a different king. I have a higher authority that I am under. And that is the call upon all of us to be those who are engaged in this world wherever God has placed you. But always to remember, wherever you and I go, we represent a higher authority. We represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is ultimately the one to whom we're accountable. You know, when I think of this call to be distinctive, uh, I think of a a teacher I used to work with, uh, a lady called Jane. And I think she modeled this brilliantly. Um, If you'd taken a a photograph of the staff, she worked on the same staff team that I was on. If you looked at the photograph, you'd have said, well, she's just like the other teachers. Okay, she's got the big red pen. She's got that massive big teacher's planner with the enormous diary in the middle of it. She's got the slightly red-rimmed eyes as we come towards the end of term. You know, she's, she's fully engaged in the life of a teacher. But she was different. Not in a weird way, in a good way. And in fact, in such a good way, other teachers talked about her. And what did they notice? They noticed she was positive and enthusiastic. She worked hard. She she was diligent in what she did, but she was balanced. She, She was at church and she had a Sabbath rest as far as I know, pretty much every single week. She, she saw one of the things that stuck out about Jane was she was proactive in seeking to be a blessing to her colleagues, not only in working hard and honoring her boss, but also in doing little acts of kindness. Then I want to tell you, in a, a, a tough, challenging environment, they were noticed by people. And she also pointed to her king. Appropriately, 
with respect, as it says in Peter, with, with, with love for people. When she was given opportunity, she'd point to the king, the king of kings, who she knew she owed it all to, without being odd or strange. Kind of reminds me of some of Jesus' words in Matthew 5, where Jesus said, talking to his followers, so that's to you and me, if you count yourself a Christ follower, he said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall it be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. I, I want to ask you, what's your challenge today? Is it to be become more engaged? That's my challenge, okay? I, I spend most of my time with Christians. The challenge for me is how can I be more engaged in the world. Maybe your challenge is you realize that there's a tendency to give in to the urge to merge. Can I encourage you? Ask for God's grace. Ask for God to give you a fresh love for the people around you and to give you that awareness that every time and everywhere you go, you are representing the King. Let's be diligent. Let's be humble. And if we're to change a nation and play our part, let's be a blessing. Let's be a blessing. You know, if, if you think back to when Joseph first received his dream, think about that young man at 17, and imagine what, what he was thinking about as he started to, to think about his dream. Who do you think he thought would be the, the main beneficiary of him living his dream? I think he thought he would be the main beneficiary of him, do you understand what I'm saying? Of him living his dream. But actually... What becomes clear when he actually comes to live the dream is the main beneficiaries were not Joseph. They were the millions of people who were, who were facing potential starvation and death. Actually, when we come to live the dream, it's not primarily about me being blessed, although God does want to do that. It's about me being blessed in order to be a blessing to other people. Do you know, that is God's plan for your life. God wants to bless you Yes, to give you a sense of purpose and joy, but primarily in order that you and I would become a blessing to other people. To just, just listen to the amazing promise. This is a, a promise that came to, to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham. God said this to Abraham. He said, I will bless you. I hope you know God wants to bless you. And I hope you're in, in a place where you're experiencing the goodness and the blessing of God. I will bless you. And I will make your descendants into a great nation. Catch this promise. Everyone on earth will be blessed because of you. Here we have God's plan for transformation in the world. And it's through ordinary people like you and me whom God blesses and then positions us in places and said, right, now you go and you be a blessing to other people. That's God's plan. God's A1 plan for, as he says here, to bless the whole earth. Now, when you, you look at Joseph, you look at the amazing conclusion to this kind of, this chapter of his life. It says this in verse 56. It said, when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. 
Oh, I love that phrase. Do you catch that phrase? What does Joseph do? He's collected this, this amount of grain that is without measure. Actually, he says they had to stop taking measures. He's got these grain stores. What does he do? He opens the storehouse. <laughs> catch that phrase. He opens the storehouse. Imagine it in kind of in the, the natural sense of it. All these people who were literally on the edge of starvation, millions of them, from the nation of Egypt first, and then actually from the surrounding nations, coming to Joseph for what? To find life. Only here, as he opened the storehouse, could they find what it was that they needed and through which they could produce bread and food for life. I love it. Catch that phrase. God is calling to his people, open the storehouse. <laughs> is there an amen? Open the storehouse within the church. Now, what does that mean for you and me? Well, like Joseph, it means, first of all, open the storehouse to physical needs. Do you know, God is interested not only in what's happening to us spiritually, he's interested in what's happening to us physically. God's plan here was to save a nation from starvation. That's why he put Joseph where he was. That's why, as a, as a church here in Peterborough, we're involved in running the food bank and care zone. Because God cares about people's practical, physical needs. That's why right now we've got a, a small team of around 15 people out in Swaziland, Southern Africa, who, who are serving into a, a whole orphanage there. They're, they're looking to meet physical needs. That's why we're encouraging all of us as we look not only in 2017 but into 2018 as individuals and groups to say what can we be doing where God has placed us individually and collectively to meet the needs of those who are around us. We want to be doing that. We want to keep doing that. But actually, there's, there's kind of there's a second level to this. As New Testament believers... We don't want to stop at only meeting physical need, important as that is. As New Testament people of God, representatives of Christ, we have an even greater message of salvation. Not only of physical provision, but of a God who wants to bring peace, forgiveness, joy, purpose, direction, life to a dying world. You, you, you do know we're surrounded by a world that's desperate for peace and order and the goodness of the king. And if you and I, if we've received something of that, God's call to us is now open the storehouse of our lives to this city, to this nation, wherever God has put us, in order that people may find Jesus, the bread of life. I want to say as we head into this Christmas season, you know, next few weeks as we head in, I, I believe God is giving us one of maybe the best opportunity we've had so far in the life of Kingsgate to open the doors over the Christmas season and say to our cities, come in. We've got good news to share. I, I want to say to all of us, Kingsgate, can we be over these next few weeks, those who are saying, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite. I'm going to bring. I'm going to do everything I can to play my part May them think it's a small part, but play my part in helping to reach this city with the goodness of our God. As I bring this message to a close, I want to, I want to in a moment, pray for us together. But I want to I ask you, first of all, a question. God has a part for you to play. You might not be called to be a Joseph, but Every single one of us has a part to play in God's plan of transformation for this city and this nation.
I hope you know what your part is. It's whatever you're doing this week. That's part of your plan, part of God's plan for your life. What is it that God has asked you this morning to do? To position yourself, to play your part, the transformation of this city and this region. What is it? And where, where do you need to ask God for more of his grace into that area? You know, we often, when we think of God changing a, a city and a nation, well, I certainly do often think of prayer. Prayer is critical. We need to be praying. But actually, we also need to be positioning ourselves. What is the one thing that you need to go out here and do and start doing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday consistently? But then just before I pray, just imagine with me, just dream for a moment. What might God do if every single one of us, and now we're talking thousands in Kingsgate, what might God do if every single one of us lived our lives diligently, humbly, living it distinctively, and living it seeking to be a blessing? Do you think as we do that over a period of time, as we do it with other churches, as we do it wherever God has placed us, can you dream with me that we might see not only individual lives changed, but communities changed where you live? Can, can we believe that God would change a city, your city, wherever you are right now. Could we even dream that one day in our lifetime, God would change a nation? You join with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your incredible plan of transformation. Father, I thank you for the incredible scope of it, that you're a God who sees the nations, but also for the privilege that we have of playing a part in that plan of transformation. Father, I, I want to ask you for every person who's been listening to this message that you would strengthen each one, you would empower and encourage each one to be an effective kingdom ambassador where you've placed us. And Father, we pray too, we pray for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon this land and we pray, we continue to pray, Father, would you turn this nation back towards yourself in the mighty name of King Jesus. And if you agree with that, why don't you say aloud, Amen.